This message comes to you from City Bible Church in Portland, Oregon, where we are committed to living like Jesus and sharing His love. It is our prayer that this message blesses and enriches your life. A couple of scriptures I want to read. Um, I'm going to put these on the screen. I'm going to read from Matthew chapter 28 and then jump right into Acts chapter 2. Uh, because we're in a couple of week series that we're calling Purple People. And the reason why we're calling it that is just in reference to the fact we use a particular resource book here called the Purple Book. There's no spiritual significance to it. It was actually a mistake from the printer that the book is even purple, but it's just kind of caught. It's a tool that we use here in our church to not only be established in biblical foundations and truths in the Bible, but it's a tool that we use to help other people become established. We've actually... Uh, given out over 10,000 of these in our church this last year, which is amazing, just as a statement to say um, we, we actually believe in discipleship. We, be, we believe in, in uh, becoming followers of Christ, not only attending church, but becoming true Christ followers. And it's a resource that we've used. And so we've been kind of searching the scriptures as an executive team, a pastoral team, and we've been talking about the fact that the Bible really does define the church as a whole globally, which by the way, there's, over, there's, there's millions of people worldwide today that are calling on Christ, worshiping Christ as their savior and celebrating the fact, but also there's, there's thousands upon thousands that today are making a commitment for the very first time to be Christ followers, and they're being added to the church. It's an amazing thing to see people added to the church by giving their lives to Christ. And as they do, they're beginning a journey. It's not a one-step process. It's not just a prayer that you pray and then it's all over. No, it's a journey. And how many know it's a lifetime journey? You never stop growing in God. You never stop be, being a disciple. You never stop growing. The only reason why you would stop is if you choose to disengage from God himself or to disengage from the things that cause growth in our life. And even so, maybe you're here and you've just been a church attender. I think God wants to move us from attenders to followers and from followers to reproducers to, to, to take on the cause of Christ in Vancouver. We've got a lot going on as a church, a lot of activity in the city. We've got a lot of groups meeting. Over 180 people have been engaged in, in uh, specific outreach groups that go on. I got a text last night from Scott Stricker from our campus and Scott said uh, that he met with a group and they went to an apartment complex yesterday of poor and underprivileged and served. And he said it was an amazing day. Uh, I think it's amazing. We're getting ready to start construction in a few weeks on uh, a police rest stop here where peace officers from the city will come and find some respite in our campus. And we're looking forward to that. There's just a variety of things that we're doing to access the city, to bless the city, to be part of the city. And I think it's an amazing thing. But you know, we could do all of that work and unless we really understand the purpose behind the work, the passion behind the work and the cause and the call, we're just gonna be busy people. And I'm not interested in just being busy for the sake of being busy. I wanna make a difference in Vancouver. Can I hear an amen? And that's why God's put us here. Matthew chapter 28, verse 18 to 20 says this. It said, Jesus came and he told his disciples, I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples. This is the commission that Christ has given this church, these people. Actually, every church, every local church, the church as a whole, but we're responsible for what God is doing here and in this place. And so we read it. God is calling us. Therefore, City Bible Church, Mill Plain Campus, go into Vancouver. Make disciples of all the nations. Do you realize in our own campus, we've got over 12 nations represented right here in our own campus uh, amazing to think of the different ethnicities that are in our campus. But apart from that, there's, 
There's uh, the poor, there's the rich, there's the disenfranchised, there's those that used to follow Christ that aren't following Christ anymore. These are people groups all over the city that God would uniquely send you to and your own unique ability to reach people that I could never reach is an amazing thing. God has commissioned us to go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands that I've given you. This is Christ's commission to the church, and it rings true in the 21st century today, just like it did when he spoke it for the very first time. Acts chapter two, the people of God were responding as they heard this commission, and they'd been praying, and the Holy Spirit touched their lives. The Bible says as, as this was happening, Peter stood up in a room full of people. Actually, it was the outer court of the temple. There were thousands present, and they said, what, are we, what do we need to do? And so Peter preached, and he said, those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day. About 3,000 and all, all believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to sharing in meals and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders, and all believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They, everybody say they. they. You see, there's something about the collective community working together for the cause of Christ that they're defined as they. Throughout the scriptures, you find some people calling that group the way. Well, that group has come together and they were identified as the way. Another time they were called Christians and it was actually kind of coined to be a derogatory term, but they took it on themselves and said, yeah, we're excited to be called Christians. Little Christ, you want to call us little, Christ, little Christs? Yeah, that's the man that we follow. We want our identity to be marked by this man Christ. Well, here we are today, we're using the name purple people to define the group, the community. Why? Because the purple book is just simply a representation of our passion to fulfill the Great Commission. We're to be marked by the cause of Christ, identified, named by Christ, recognized as a different kind of people. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, shared their meals with great joy and generosity, and all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all people. And, the, and, and each day the Lord added to their fellowship those that were being saved. Purple people, if I could just define it and why we're saying that phrase and what we're really shooting for, this would be the definition. It is a partnership of passionate people who make their purpose their priority, meaning the Great Commission, the call and the cause of Christ. That's our priority. By turning their planet purple for Jesus, meaning our passion is to reach more people. That's the underlying motive for CBC. It's not to build more buildings, Buildings are simply a tool to reach more people. It's not just to organize new programs so we can put our directory out and say, look at what we're doing. Look at how we're touching the city. The second you go down that road, you develop a hat rack where we begin to place all of the things that we've accomplished on it. We have nothing to hang our hat on. All we have is a rugged cross on Calvary wherein we run and lay ourselves down at the feet of Jesus. And we say, apart from your work and what you provided on Calvary and what happened when you went into the tomb and laid there dead for three days and the power of God resurrected you from the dead and actually as the first fruits of all of us who would 
experience physical death and eventually be resurrected again by the power of God working in our life. There is, there is nothing that you and I can do on our own except humble ourselves at the feet of Jesus and say, everything that you are, everything that you provided, everything that you have, even the call and commission to live a transformed life is all that I have and it's all that I want. If it wasn't for the cross, where would I be? I'll tell you where you'd be. You'd be headed down a path of destruction and death. But Christ has redeemed us, Christ has saved us, and because he's added us to the church, we become a people, a unique people, a called people, a movement in the earth that's different than all other people. You see, you've been called out of and you've been placed into. You're called out of the world, you're called out of sin, you're called out of destruction, you're called out of, of, of those cycles that would defeat and destroy your life. You're called out of those things placed into the family of God, the church of Jesus Christ. You're marked by a new name. And because of that, you're released back into the earth to be salt and light. And so we gather and we assemble to be equipped and then dissemble in order to go out into the cracks and crevices of society and do the same thing with others that happened to us. You see, Jesus is building his church, but he's using you and I to be his hands and feet right here in the 21st century. And so to serve and to give and to go the extra mile just simply is a partnership of people who make their purpose their priority. And to say, I'm no longer serving myself, I'm serving King Jesus in my life. There's a man in our church named Abe, and I wanna just sit and talk with him for a few minutes. Uh, you'll get to know Abe here in just a moment, but I'd like you to welcome him. Abe, come up and join us here for just a minute. And I want you to hear his story. I want you to hear his story. And uh, we're gonna sit over here, which is quite a ways from over there, but they're gonna put this on the screen as well. And so you're gonna be able to, to uh, just kind of join with us as we have a conversation here and talk a little bit. Um, Abe is a new dad. There, uh, and, and baby is here, right in the hallway. Okay, I'm gonna give up a very valuable minute. Jill, could you bring just baby back? Is, is the baby sleeping? No, okay. You know, I love babies. I'm stopping a whole service right now just for this baby. Look at this. Look at this little baby, oh my goodness. Can you see this little guy? What a cutie. Oh, he's on the screen, look at that. Wow, you guys make cute kids. Good job. Come on, let's give Abe and Jill a big hand. Abe, tell us, what is your son's name? Uh, Gavin. Gavin. Yes, Gavin Crow. And that's your wife, Jill, that's right? My wife, Jill. Awesome. Just making sure. Yeah. <laughs> Abe, how long have you been part of CBC? Um, I've been coming for about oh, for a little over four years. Um, tell, me, tell me what your life was like before you gave your life to Christ. Because when you started coming to CBC, you were not a Christian. No, no, no. no okay. No. It was, um, my life before seemed great. You know, I um, had friends, I had a job. I, my basically philosophy was, you know, be nice to people, work hard, um, and live a life, you know. But looking back on that, I, I was living for me. I was, I was controlling everything. Um, yeah, so it, was, it, wasn't, it wasn't awful. It just wasn't. Kind of living the, the, the 
20th, 21st century American dream, just right. kind of doing life, yeah. actually in charge of everything. Thought I was, yeah. Thought you were. Yeah. But in reality, you were losing everything. I was, yeah, yeah. You were losing sure. everything. So what was the turning point in your life that caused you to come to Christ? Um, the person that's walking over there, my wife. Um, so she, was, she moved to here from Buffalo um, on, on God's plan, and she showed up on my work one day, and that's why she moved here, for, for, for our work. And uh, I saw her, and it was, it was instant. There was something different. I knew I needed to find out more and introduce myself. And through that, I found out her, her journey, and then when she told me, you know, obviously God brought her here, I was like, okay. Sure. Yeah, I mean, it, it was... It You're was, like, God doesn't do nothing. I'm in charge right. here. Right, yeah. right, yeah. Yeah, I mean, my extent was I, I believed in God. I, I didn't practice, you know. I thought, right. obviously, it was, it was very servicey. Um, but seeing her journey and seeing the, her, her passion for it and the real, the real side of it, because my experience before was, you know, the, the typical, you know, Christians that don't really live the life and really kind of gave me a negative experience on that whole thing. Gotcha. So, you know, God brought her here and connected with me and proved to me that that's not the case. And so you guys, uh, she was already coming here. You came with her to CBC? Uh, yes, she was and already then... here. She got me to come. Um, the first time I came, it was, it was all I could do to get through the service. You know, anxiety was pretty high. The second time I left, I got in here and had a panic attack and left. I couldn't, I couldn't couldn't function, there was just a big struggle and a battle. The, the whole idea was, was n nothing I could comprehend. Did so. you think we were crazy? <laughs> um, Let's be honest. <laughs> so, so, uh, that question's not on the list, but I'm putting you on the spot, man. <laughs> it was, I just remember thinking the music is great. I don't understand why all these people are raising their hands and, and yeah. talking funny and, you know, that kind of stuff. So, but it was intimidating because I, I, I didn't know that. I'm like, this is right. really uncomfortable, you know. But, yeah. Yeah, so that was the experience, and I had gone through a couple small groups with her, and, uh, you know, but even then it still was, it was such a, a battle internally with me. So what was the turning point for you then? Um, you're attending church, you're attending a couple small groups. What, what was the turning point? Can you point um, to any one thing? Or? There, was, there was quite a bit. I think just the overall exhaustion of the situation. But, you know, Jill and I, um, you know, through that process, because it wasn't, I, I was like, why can't we date? You know, I'm, I'm a Christian. I believe in God. But it wasn't equally yoked. So over time, that just wore and wore and wore until the point that I um, was so exhausted, I, I literally woke up in the middle of the night and was like, I, I've had enough. This is it. I can't do it. Um, I remember looking up the sinner's prayer so I could, you know, you know, give my life to Christ. And I did it. I started reading the Bible instantly, and it was already different. You know, before it was words, and then right after it was, it was very powerful. You know, and then I called her. I'm coming to church. Came to church, and it was, it was the most amazing thing ever. So your moment of conversion was middle of the night, it was, encounter yeah. with God. You didn't realize even that was what was happening. No, but the I word mean, most of it was just, I, I'm, I'm done, just do whatever, like I can't. Wow, come on, come on. So, so you, were, you were attending a small group. Who were key people that kind of came along and helped you, <clears throat> would you say were actual disciplers? Oh. In your life. Besides Jill, but through our small group, she, um, the small group was led by Alex Trollis and, and Jason Hubbard. And 
without them, I mean, it, it was, they were crucial. You know, Did as they, far as a man of God. Were they, uh, were they answering questions for oh, you, yeah. that kind of thing? Okay. I went to them with questions just, just to, you know, either had to do with, you know, men of God questions or just the overall concept of, you know, why isn't it that I can't, why is it that I'm not a, you know, yeah. a Christian, even though I believe in God? Right. You know? So big, heavy questions that Jill, you know, she was going through her own journey. Those are huge questions, you know, if you're yeah. going through your own one. So they stepped in and... So you were being discipled by, by Jill, and um, what would you tell people who want to go on this journey of, like Alex and Jason became right. disciples in other people's lives. You've now stepped in and started serving yeah. and kind of working this faith a little bit. So tell us about working your faith and serving and kind of, you know, becoming a person who's now influencing others. Tell us about well, that. Well, it, it's difficult to put into words because it was never, it was just God wanted me to go down this path. I mean, I wouldn't be sitting up here. This is not something I do, you know. Um, you know, I, I'm obviously a musician, but, you know, it took me four years to get up on this stage. So, um, you know, just serving and, and friendships and all of that. But um, for me, uh, the, what I would tell somebody is my experience was all actions action based like I'm very much like you you show me that you've become a Christian and you're and God is really working in you and I see it I'm sold you know and with with like Alex and Jason or maybe people that have grown up in the church that you know because I'm 40 you know I became saved at 36 so I had a whole life experience outside of being a Christian um, and that's way it's very very impactful for somebody maybe of an older age yeah you know, because if I came to them with a Bible and verses and they'd be like, ah, no way, I'm going the other direction. But if they witnessed on the outside my transformation over the last four years, uh, the impact would be huge. Yeah, come on, come on. So you're challenging people today to live the Christian life and to be yeah, an example so. yeah. and to serve and to get out of your comfort zone and go the extra mile. That was the biggest impact for me. If I, I mean... If it wasn't for Jason, Alex, and Jill having that example and seeing it, I probably would have not. Would you say that was even part of the, the thing that allowed you to have the faith even to get on the stage the first time? And oh, yeah. Yeah, it was seeing the example in other people. Yeah, sure. Come on, what, a, what an amazing story of a transformed life. Let's give Abe a big hand today. Thank you, man. I know... Uh, I know Abe well enough to know that this is not a journey that he uh, chose to go on. He chose a different path, but God got a hold of his life. What an amazing thing. I asked uh, uh, Kim, our worship pastor this morning, how long did you, you know, uh, go after him to get him up on the stage even playing the guitar just to serve? And she said it was years. And, but, you know, he was willing to walk that transformed life uh, journey because he observed it in somebody else. And this is the challenge, I think, of discipleship. Not only is Abe, I think, a 21st century disciple, but you see the same model worked out in the lives of people in the scriptures, and that becomes a pattern. That becomes, to us, the process of discipleship is not something that we just kind of do because we want to do it and we kind of create our own way. We actually go back and look at the scriptures, and we realize that discipleship is something that's found in the Bible. And the journey of walking the path and 
getting down the road, starting to serve other people and go down this road of discipleship is a Bible truth. I want you to look just in a few moments that we have left to Acts 16, if you would turn there in your Bibles. And I wanna uh, introduce you just in these last moments to a man named Timothy who was saved early in a man named Paul's ministry. Paul was one of the great leaders of the New Testament church and he was sent out from the church in Antioch out to uh, minister as a missionary and to go into cities and preach the gospel and fulfill the Great Commission. And in Acts chapter 14, it's about AD 47. You don't have to turn to Acts 14. We're gonna camp in Acts 16 here in just a moment, but it's AD 47. And Paul's out and he, he, he is in this process of living out the Great Commission, being a true leader, and he wants to share the gospel. And he went into a city uh, called Iconium, and he preached the gospel, and the whole city kind of turned into an uproar, and uh, chaos happened, and people started to reject the message, and they actually rallied around Paul and stoned him. And the Bible says they left him for dead. And uh, at the same time, disciples gathered around him and started to pray, and he actually came up out of that place of death. And uh, some commentators actually say he was resurrected, that he was actually dead, but he came back to life again by the power of God. Others say that he was near death. We don't really know where it was, but it was quite a powerful moment. And he went on from Iconium to Derby and to Lystra, these other cities. When he came into Lystra, there was a man who was sitting by the gate of the city and he was crippled from birth. And Paul walked into the city and saw this man and he said, in the name of Jesus, stand up and walk. And the man stood up and life came to his limbs and he started to run through the city and people were blown away. They actually started to worship, try to worship Paul and Barnabas, his sidekick in ministry. So Paul ran into the middle of the city square and started to tear his clothes, which to me is really weird. I'm like, okay, you don't like what the people are doing, don't tear your clothes. If you, didn't, if you started on Sunday morning maybe singing a song I didn't like, I wouldn't run up to the stage and start ripping my clothes and say, you know, hey, stop singing, stop doing that. I think it's a strange way to respond, but it's what he did. And so I'm not gonna judge Paul for that. He, he started to tear his clothes. He said, don't worship me, I'm not God. Uh, God created everything. And he started to preach the gospel to him. Well, a group of people started to rally around in Lystra, and the Bible called that group of people disciples. Paul left the city, and the reason why he left the city was because another group of religious people started to come at him with rocks. And he said, I've been down this road before, and I'm not going down this road a second time. Uh, I, you know, I, I counted on the resurrection once. I, I'm not gonna trust it twice. So I'll just leave. And he left kind of in secrecy, but he left these disciples there. So he went to a neighboring city, preached the gospel, and quickly came back, and he gathered the disciples together, and he said, let me tell you what you're gonna need. You're gonna need perseverance to be a true disciple, because sometimes crises happen, and sometimes tough things happen, but you're gonna get through it, because that's what disciples do. And the Bible says that he strengthened their souls, and he strengthened the church. Well, then he went on his way. Five years later, he came back, AD 42. He came back and Acts 16 was his second time through Lystra. All right, so we've got this great miracle experience, great resurrection, great moment, but also a lot of crisis, and these disciples start to come together. The Bible doesn't name any of the disciples until he comes back five years later, and there's one particular disciple that gets named there, and his name is Timothy. And so we pick it up in Acts 16 and listen to what it says. It says, Paul went first to Derby and then to Lystra, and there was a young disciple there named Timothy. 
His mother was a Jewish believer, but his father was Greek. Timothy was well thought of by the believers in Lystra and Iconium, neighboring cities. And so Paul wanted him to join them on the journey. And in deference to the Jews of the area, he arranged for Timothy to be circumcised before they left, for everyone knew that his father was a Greek. And then they went from town to town, instructing the believers to follow the decisions made by the apostles and elders in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in their faith, and they grew larger every day. So you've got this young guy, he's saved in kind of a revival atmosphere, but then he had to live out his salvation. That's where true discipleship comes. You see, you might be like Abe who was saved in a moment of just surrender, where you thought life was good, but then you heard the message of Christ and you realized, man, I need to surrender my life. And so you do, you pray the prayer, you come to the altar and you do this thing. But discipleship moves on from that place into the Monday after Sunday. And it moves into the Tuesday and the Wednesday and the Thursday. Sometimes you get stoned. Timothy observed it. He, he saw what had happened to Paul. He saw Paul having to run for his life. And that became an example to him of what true discipleship really looks like. And he worked it out over five years, five years of nameless discipleship. And in those five years of nameless discipleship, the Bible says that he developed a good report among the brethren. Because the other people in the church started to see, wow, he's starting to play the guitar. Wow, he's up giving an interview. I, I see the life-transforming power of Christ actually working in his life. You see, it takes sometimes a few years for discipleship to really gain the traction in our life. And if we want instantaneous Christianity and, and we think that somehow just serving God is the fire escape and everything's gonna go really great for us, I don't think we understand true discipleship. God's calling us to live a lifestyle of surrender to the call of Christ and the cause of Christ, to actually sacrifice and give up everything for him. And in doing so, we might run into a time where we're surrounded by a group of really angry people who wanna destroy us and we realize we need the power of Jesus to show up in that moment because it's no longer about living my life, it's about the cause of Christ working through my life. So if I need to be uh, taken all the way to death's door, by people throwing rocks at me. You see, discipleship is a journey. And for Timothy, it wasn't just about revival and it wasn't about running in crisis. It was about sustaining every step of the way. And I find four characteristics in five verses of Timothy that actually become a model to us of true discipleship. And the first one is this, that Timothy loved the church. Timothy loved the church. People grow better together. You'll never become a true disciple on your own. Did you hear Riddled in Abe's conversation all the times he talked about the small group that he was in and the church service that he attended? What we didn't talk about was the fact that Abe, uh, just as they had this baby, people delivered meals to their home and gave shower gifts. And Abe kept saying, I've just never seen anything like this before. I can't believe. You see, the church is a community. The church is the people of God. The one thing we have in common is not our last name, it's actually the name in which we've been baptized into. It's the name of Jesus. It's the name above every name. We have something in common that the world doesn't have in common. They might get together on Friday night at a bar. They might get together in their neighborhood and have a barbecue, but that common thread of Christ's work in their life doesn't exist. But you and I come together from every nation, kindred, tribe, and tongue, and we worship the Lord Jesus, and we communicate with each other, and we share meals and break bread, and we realize, wow, God's done something in your life that makes you a lot more like me and me like you. We come on even ground when we come through the cross. 
And the church is a community. It's a purple people. It's a unique people. It's, a, it's an odd people because we're called out of the world. We assemble together. And as Abe said, I walked in and felt like this is a weird place. You're weird people. You're straight because we're all lifting our hands and singing about a cross and blood and everything they're talking about. It makes no sense. It makes no sense because when you're outside looking in, we do seem odd and we are. We're a unique people. We're called out from every nation, kindred, tribe, and tongue. We're the church. And Timothy fell in love with the church. He realized what Christ had done in his life, and he became like a tree planted and a stone placed, which the Bible says is being added to the church of Jesus Christ. Purple people, people that are true disciples, love the church. The Bible says he was well spoken of by the brethren. What a funny word. It's one of our language issues. We call Libby Sister Libby. What a strange thing. Hey, Brother Daryl, where, where do we get that language? Because we are the family of God. We're the church of Jesus Christ. We're brought together in, into one family. And so strange language comes out of that. But at the end of the day, Timothy loved the church. The second thing that I see about Timothy's life was that he had a desire to learn and grow. The Bible says that he was well spoken of by the brethren, he was a disciple. The word disciple means learner. It speaks of devotion. It speaks of your position. Not a position of leadership, but a position of learning. The reason we encourage people to take notes and to come ready to hear the word of the Lord is because we believe that there's no point in life that we stop being a disciple of Christ, a learner, somebody who's growing. And Timothy positioned himself to grow. I just got back from a couple of days down in Bend, Oregon, I was doing some prophetic meetings and we had our first meeting and then we went to the pastor's house. They had a meal provided and uh, there was about 30 people at their house. And the pastor said, hey, uh, Daryl, what I'm gonna do is we're gonna eat a little bit and then we're gonna sit down in the living room. By the way, it's 10.30 at night. We're gonna sit down in the living room and they've got some questions they wanna ask. And for two hours, everybody say two hours. Two hours, they nailed me with questions, questions about the prophetic and pastoral ministry. Why? Because we need to position ourselves as learners. Help me understand more. How can I step out in my gift and my grace? And Abe went to Alex and to Jason and tell me more. How do I become this man of God? That's what a disciple does. The third thing that I see about Timothy's life was he overcame personal struggles. I believe there's a prophetic word in our church today We've heard it all through the service that God wants to come to you where you are. He wants to meet you in your place of crisis. Timothy is a young man, was raised by a Christian grandmother and mother. Paul tells us that later in scripture. As he was saved in this place, he became a disciple. He loved the church. He became a learner. The Bible says his father was Greek. In this particular culture, to follow your father in his footsteps would have been everything. To walk away from his father's faith, belief system, and direction in life, and to serve Jehovah God, to serve Jesus, and to follow in his mother and grandmother's steps would have caused his father to distance himself from him, even consider him no longer his son. I don't know what you've been through in life. For Timothy, I think he probably spent his Christian years living essentially fatherless. The wound that fatherlessness provokes and develops in the life of a believer, and unbelievers, by the way, is one that you can scarcely put into words. 
It robs you of identity, a sense of security, a sense of confidence in and of yourself. Timothy was a young man who had a life struggle that he had to live with. The amazing thing about God is he sets the solitary in families, the Bible says, and he positioned Timothy in a church and gave him a relationship with Paul. Paul became to him like a father. Paul became a voice into his life. And you know, the thing is, Timothy had to face the struggle and press into it. And when he went home after a Bible study meeting with his small group leader, and his father either completely ignored him or mocked him all the way into the back room of the house, Timothy had to make a decision. I'm not going to let this define me. I'm going to press through this and I'm gonna serve the Lord Jesus Christ. You might have been abused, you might have been abandoned, you might have been rejected. You might have dealt with some church issues over the course of your life that cause you to wanna to be distanced from the body of Christ. I'm here to tell you today, true discipleship has to look square in the eyes with whatever addictive struggle you might be facing, whatever crisis you've been up against. And you have to say, regardless of the pain that I felt, I'm gonna allow Jesus to work the gospel deep into my life, even into those dark areas. You might be here today and struggle with some kind of sexual addiction that you'd be so embarrassed if everybody knew about. Allow Jesus to touch your life. Open up in the community of believers and realize just as God sent Paul to Timothy to be like a surrogate father, God will send somebody your direction to help bring healing to that area of your life. There is recovery in Jesus. There is recovery in the house of God. Jesus is not looking for perfect people. He's looking for disciples who will own their stuff and actually face it head on and press into it and say, I'm going to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. Can I hear an amen about that? The last thing is that Timothy gave his life away. Timothy gave his life away. And I want the band to come back. And as they do, I want you to recognize that Paul came to Timothy and he said, all right, Timothy, I've watched your life. You've got a good report. You've been facing the difficult areas of your life. You're becoming a true disciple. And I want you to hear me with a sense of hope and a sense of expectation for your life today. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your savior, I want you to come all the way back to the first point. Give your life to Christ and find yourself planted in the church. But secondly, if you're stuck in your Christian life and you say, I'm dry, I'm plateaued, there's no growth, there's no increase, there's no enlargement, I believe today you can start a new journey of growth and increase in your relationship with Christ. Thirdly, if you're here today and you're dealing with some kind of crisis internally in your life, Jesus is here as a healer. He wants to minister to you. He wants to strengthen you. But lastly, if you're stuck and you're plateaued and you've never actually reached out and given your life away by serving, serving in the church, serving in the city, serving moms in your neighborhood, serving at the workplace, doing whatever you can do to fulfill the commission of Christ, look at Timothy's life. Paul came to Timothy and he said, Timothy, I've been watching your progress as a disciple and I want you to come with me. We're gonna go through these cities and we're gonna proclaim Christ. And Timothy said, I'd like to come with you because that sounds glamorous. And so Paul said, all right. The first thing that needs to happen is out of deference for the people we're gonna to talk to, you need to be circumcised, Timothy. Can't imagine that small group meeting. <laughs> that one-on-one -on -one counseling session. What do you mean I need to be circumcised? Well, you were raised with a Greek father. You're not circumcised. We're going to where Jewish people are. 
and in order to have access, in order to be well-respected. You're gonna have to give up something, your own comfort, your own desires. You're gonna have to surrender again. Everybody say surrender again. Discipleship isn't about one-time surrender, it's a lifestyle of surrender. And Timothy said, whatever it takes to be a disciple, I will do. He was circumcised and he went with Paul on the, on the journey. You find him in Ephesus later on down the road, pastoring the largest church in Asia Minor. Paul writing to him saying, Timothy, my true son in the faith. God had continued to work in his life of discipleship. God had healed the wounds in his heart. Oh, he still had brokenness, still had those memories, but he was living as a spiritual son of God. He loved the church. He continued to grow and he was giving his life away and literally tens of thousands of people were impacted. What could God do through your life? What could God do through your life if you'd surrender everything to him? I want you to stand to your feet with me this morning.